Welcome to Keep the Game Beautiful podcast. Each week, I highlight incredible people who are doing amazing things in soccer, the beautiful game. I'm Anna Turi, your host. Thank you for listening. Today, I'm talking with an amazing referee and an amazing role model for myself. I was able to learn so much when talking to Tori Pencil, especially about officiating. I also just learned as a person. I think I mentioned it just a little bit. I talked about her mentors and asked her about that. And one of her past mentors, especially in her younger years, was Jim Alverson. And Jim is actually one of my mentors at the moment right now. He is living around me, and he actually came to watch one of my games on a Sunday afternoon when it was cold and rainy. He gave me some great advice, which I am very thankful for. It's just so cool to think about all of the amazing FIFA referees and amazing referees that just came from this area or are retiring on these fields or just coming back. Tuma, our soccer complex near us, is a very inspiring environment and a great place to grow and learn. I hope you enjoy the episode. Today I'm talking to with an amazing referee and also an amazing role model for myself, Tori Penso. I had originally met Tori at an NWSL game where she was officiating, and she was very excited to meet me. And one of her first questions was really asking what I thought about how she did in the game and things like that. She has played soccer and refereed for many years, and she's NISOA's managing director. Tori has accomplished many things, one of her most recent accomplishments being the first woman to referee an MLS match in 20 years. So, Tori, would you like to take a little bit and explain more about yourself and what got you to where you are today? <laughs> sure. Well, hey, Anna. Thanks for having me. Good to see you again. Um, yeah, I mean, it's kind of a whirlwind. It's been a whirlwind the last probably uh, week or so, right, following uh, my big assignment in MLS. Um, but it's been a very exciting one, right? I mean, that is the moment I've always dreamed of. So uh, I've been just trying to soak it in and enjoy the moment because we as officials don't often get these moments right um that we could just celebrate so um a good friend tried to remind me just to enjoy the moment right uh these moments don't last forever they're short and then it's it's back to business right so trying to soak it up so it's been a bit of a whirlwind but as far as um my experience i started when i was 14 it's been kind of all over. It's been a lot of highs, been a lot of lows. Um, if you talk to anybody who's had any bit of success, it's never a linear path up, right? It is always ups and downs, a few U-turns around the way, you know, uh, before we get to somewhere um, that we would deem as successful, right? Uh, but my journey has been interesting. It's been exciting and uh, I'm excited to, to chat with you today. On this podcast, I always start with the same three questions. So first, what does the beautiful game mean to you? This game means everything to me, right? I met my husband on the soccer field, all of my bridesmaids in my wedding I met playing soccer. Um, at our house, it's soccer every day, right? Um, it is ingrained in everything that we do. Um, we speak soccer, <laughs> even at the, the dinner table. Um, there's not a day that doesn't go by that we aren't as a family discussing either tactics or strategies or approaches to the match. Um, so it is, it means everything to me. What are actions or things you do to keep the game beautiful? So this game can unify us in so many ways. 
Um, we're all equal when we're out there on that pitch. And as officials, it's our job to kind of maintain that balance and ensure that it's played in a fair manner, right? Uh, the game can't be played without officials. We're a critical part of the game, right? Um, without us, there is no game. However, it isn't about us. And I think that's really important, right? Good officiating, we aren't seen or heard unless we need to be. And preventative officiating can be one of the most beautiful aspects of officiating. You know, when I have a player who's sitting on a yellow card and he goes to make a challenge and I can say, don't do it right here, be smart, think about that. And I can prevent that second yellow card and that send off. To me, that's magic, right? That's some of the beauty of what officiating can offer and the value we can provide as officials when we can prevent players from maybe making a mistake, right? Um, oftentimes, and that is, is one of the beautiful things about the game and one of the things I love so much about officiating is we have an opportunity to make the game better and be a contributor to a successful match, you know? How do you encourage others to keep the game beautiful? I would say one of the central aspects of our world as officials is giving back to others, just like others have done for us, right? Um, teaching others about the game, about the tactics, about what makes it beautiful. Um, it's flowing. The law book can bend, but it doesn't break. It's a dynamic game. It's evolving. Um, it's truly the most beautiful game played in the world, right? Um, passing on that passion onto others is important to keep young kids like yourself, Anna, interested and engaged in this as a profession, because that's what it is. It's a profession. How did you first get involved in officiating? Uh, so I was 14 years old and um, my mom was like, hey, you should get a job. And I was like, okay, cool. Like some of my friends work at the mall, like I'll explore that. And she was like, why would you want to work at the mall when you spend all your time at the soccer field? Why don't you just work at the soccer field? And I was like, oh, didn't think about that. She's like, you get paid cash. And at the time I didn't really know the value that was. I was like, okay, cool, whatever. And she's like, why don't you try? You can run around, be out outdoors, stay healthy, stay fit. And I was like, hey, okay. And, and, you know, enjoy the game in a different way. And I was like, I'm interested. Cool. So I started when I was a young girl, both my two older brothers actually uh, refereed as well. Um, so they taught me a thing or two along the way. Um, but I didn't necessarily know it was more than a weekend job that earned some cash until a little bit later. So when did you make the decision to turn it into more than a weekend job? You know, for me, it was just something I got as a 14, 15, 16 year old making some cash on the weekend, right? Until I got invited um, to go to ODP camp, Olympic Development Program camp in Alabama. I was about 18 years old when I got that invitation. It was the first time I went out of state for um, a tournament. Um, and what I learned there, it's kind of like a, a summer camp for officials, just like it is for the players. They get identified, they go there, um, they spend the night, they spend, you know, every waking moment from breakfast, lunch, and dinner and training um, with their team. And our team is our, our fellow referees, right? And I learned that it was like something people took really passionate. There was the right mechanics, there was the right way to do things. And I learned that it was something that people um, practice. And it really was um, just like a player, you learn different tactics, strategies, and approaches. And um, um, I got really excited. That's when I kind of learned more about officiating um, and the right ways to do things because I have a lot of stories from that camp where I did a lot of wrong things. Um, and we do wrong things because we don't know any different. Um, but that was really the opportunity I had. And then from there, I 
uh, you know, did a lot of youth tournaments from youth regionals, got selected to go to youth nationals, um, did a lot of amateur games, did amateur regionals, was selected to go to amateur nationals as well, and kind of went through those different pathways um, before I got identified and started um, working in the professional leagues. So at your first camp, was it hard to be away from family and learning all these new things and spending every minute about learning on soccer things? How was that? Yeah, I mean, at that ODP camp, I was thrilled. You know, I was 18. Like, get me out of the house. Yeah, you know. Um, but I'm sure, you know, now, um, you know, my husband, Chris, is also an official, and he is camp every other week. He is pro camp, and it's tough because we have three little girls, right? And so there's a lot of commitment that goes with that, and it is super tough to be away from the family. Um, but we manage it, and we balance things, and we know that this is a passion we both share, and so we make it work, right? But it certainly is challenging, um, and it has its challenges. But at the same time, in order for us to be effective, like, we have to be focused. And when you're officiating games and you're going, traveling here and there, um, the benefit to sit down for a week with your fellow officials and just focus on the profession, um, it helps us be better officials. We're talking about small nuances and positioning, um, the differences between you know, red cards and yellow cards and the small nuances sometimes that differentiate those. Um, that's what makes us true professionals, right? So we need that. So we, I think we understand the importance of it and we're willing to sacrifice some of the challenges, I would say, for it. How important is the mentor relationship and having a mentor? Critical. Absolutely critical. Um, you know, from whether I was, you know, young, 14 years old, and sometimes your mentors then are just your peers a lot of times, right? And then you start to identify mentors as you kind of grow into it. Um, but I've had mentors throughout my entire career, right? Um, one of those actually was Nancy Lay, who was one of the first females to referee in MLS, uh, her and Sandy Hunt had um, the first match uh, the same day. And she actually did my eight to seven upgrade uh, when I was, I don't know, probably 17, 18 years old. Um, so she, it was awesome to have her perspective because she talked to me about things that, you know, my other mentors that were male didn't talk about, right? Which was stop playing with your hair. Why are your shorts so high? You know, things like this that maybe my male counterparts weren't willing, maybe they noticed it, but they weren't willing to share that information because they didn't maybe know how to, right? Um, so she would tell me things that I needed to hear, like stop running like a girl, <laughs> right? Um, and that was really helpful. So to have her, I think as a mentor early was um, super cool. And then, of course, I've had a million, right? I mean, John Ald was my first instructor um, ever. Uh, Joseph Migna um, helped me through the youth ranks and into to the amateur bank ranks. Um, Paul Denton was a national referee who um, I would phone, you know, anytime something went wrong because things go wrong on the field, right? Um, and, you know, several times when I almost quit as a kid and he told me, you know, stick with it. And we all need that sometimes, right? Um, because we get frustrated because we have bad games because we aren't perfect. We never will be perfect. We're human and we make mistakes and the world doesn't understand officials making mistakes, right? Um, the soccer world expects us to be perfect and we're not. Um, and as a result, you know, it, it creates very resilient individuals. Um, but at the same time, it's really challenging, especially like your age, right? Coming up. Um, when you have an adult parent screaming at you, <laughs> um, that's really tough. But I will say that, you know, the skills I learned at a young age, 
you know, 14, 15, 16, to be able to make decisions, be able to communicate with people about those decisions, making quick decisions with limited information, I think helped me in every profession I've had, right? It helped me be a better professional off the field. Um, and so I think the skills you learn is, as an official are, you know, translate across disciplines, no matter what your profession you want to do. Um, those types of skills translate with you. So I, a few years ago, I actually had a pretty bad referee abuse and 10U core game. And I'm actually very happy that happened because it's developed thicker skin and I have a better perspective on the game. How have you seen like your like thicker skin develop over the years? Sure. I mean, it's like leather. You want to touch it? <laughs> mm. um, yeah, I, you know, every referee has that you know, female, male, young, old, like we, we all have experiences of bad games, whether we did something wrong or it was just perceived that we did something wrong. Right. Um, and unfortunately when you're young, you don't have video evidence to be able to go back and look and say, did I get the call? Right. Right. Like we don't have that validation, unfortunately. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, the laws are the foundation. And if you know that you're making the right calls, um, based on the laws of the game, I think that builds confidence, right? So I think at the, the forefront, we have to have a good sense of the laws and know them really well. And that way we have a little more confidence in our decisions, right? Because a lot of times parents and players, coaches alike may not know the laws, right? Um, and I find myself, you know, especially coming up through the ranks, like explaining those laws sometimes to people, right? But I think that builds confidence and then I think, you know, having a group of camaraderie, you know, peers that you can, can you believe that guy, <laughs> you know, and have that dialogue with, um, I think is really helpful to have people to watch your game so that you can say, was I crazy? Like that was a penalty, right? You know, and you can get kind of validation as you come up, I think is really helpful too. Um, but yeah, mentors are critical, you know, peer to peer mentors. And then, um, you know, mentors that are in a, a next level above you that you aspire to be, I think is really important as well. I had seen that you mentored at the WAGS tournament in the past. How else do you help to develop and support referees? Sure. Um, I've really enjoyed my time at WAGS and I've been a mentor there three or, or four years. Um, and I, I love that event for a variety of reasons. Um, I love that organization. I love their mission of keeping women and girls in the sport. Um, I think that mission resonates strongly with myself personally. So. Um, I've enjoyed that event um, and it's m m primarily focused on females, which is fabulous because you don't get many um, events like that. Uh, outside of that, we always typically do a youth regional event as well and we usually do that as a family. So my husband, myself and my three girls come with us um, and we instruct and we have a mentor group and that is um, for about 10 days during the summer. Um, always very challenging to get away from work and other commitments, um, but we've done that year over year now gosh, seven, eight years we've done that consecutively. So uh, as our schedules get busy and busy, it's more difficult to kind of peel away to, to give back, but we are committed to um, at minimum two events. We hope to try and get three in where we can go and be at a tournament and be on the grass fields with young aspiring um, officials and talk to them and talk to them about everything from decisions to work-life balance, to how do you get to that next level, to goal setting, what does the next level look for them personally, right? Um, and I think that's super important for professional officials and professional players to be accessible and to make ourselves accessible for others. Um, 
And then outside of that, we do as much instruction as we possibly can. So, um, you know, a handful of events across the US, we've done Washington's um, RDA event, we've done a handful of others um, where I go and instruct as well. So give back as much as we can um, during down weekends, whenever down weekends might occur. Um, but it's, you know, to me, giving back while it takes us away from maybe officiating that weekend, to me, it's the most fulfilling thing we can do. I walk away from a weekend on the fields with young kids, so inspired, so encouraged, um, so fulfilled, like I had accomplished something very important that weekend, right? So um, as difficult as it might be to get us on that field sometimes, um, we walk away every time without a doubt, so happy that we were able to make it work. So um, we'll continue to do that. That's on my kind of every year thing. Um, we look to do at least two tournaments. Um, obviously this year has been unique and a lot of those tournaments didn't happen, but it looks like WAGS is going to have their event this weekend and I will be there. So I'm super excited. Um, it's also the opening weekend of USL. So I'm going to do a few games and then fly out there and um, do a few days at the, at the um, event and then fly out to another game. So it's going to be really hectic, but again, it's going to be worth it. I have no doubt. What is some of the best advice that you've ever received as a referee? Sure. That's a great question. Um, I've gotten a lot of advice along the way, right? Um, I think most recently I received some, some amazing advice from Mark Geiger as I headed into um, my first MLS assignment. I was obviously nervous, um, very excited for the opportunity. It was a dream. It was everything I had ever wanted right in front of me, which can be intimidating at times. Um, everything you've worked for is right in front of you. Don't mess it up. <laughs> right. So I was uh, nervous to say the least. And he sent me a note and he said, it doesn't have to be perfect. It needs to be good, but it doesn't have to be perfect. Just be you do what got you here. And it was the perfect advice at the perfect moment for me. Um, and I think advice is not just about what it is, but also timing is everything. But for some reason, you know, everybody had been giving me, you know, kudos and congratulations that day. But reading his, his email, I just felt weight to come off my shoulders because I was putting so much pressure on trying to make sure it was going to be perfect from every small detail, from securing women's sized uniforms so I, I fit into my things to making sure I had the right volcaros and the right devices and all those things to make sure my eyes were dotted, my T's were crossed. I was you know, being a perfectionist as we often do. And all of a sudden he said, it doesn't have to be perfect. And I felt the weight come off and I was like, okay, good. I can do good and I can do me. Like I can do those two things, right? And so um, I was all of, all of a sudden, like I felt myself more focused with clarity as I headed into the match. So again, like really good advice at the right time. And I think as officials, you know, we strive to be perfect. We strive for perfection, but perfection doesn't exist in officiating, right? Like we'll never have a perfect game, right? There will always be an opportunity to learn whether it's positioning or whether it's, you know, a corner kick throw in decision or, or whatever it might've been, like there will always be learnings. Um, so if we strive for perfection, we'll fall on excellence. And I think that's a wonderful quote, right? Um, so we strive for perfection, but we have to remember it'll never be perfect. <laughs> um, but if we strive for it, we'll fall somewhere short. Um, and hopefully that's an excellent match um, where, again, we're not noticed unless we need to be. Could you talk a little bit more about your recent MLS game and why that was so important? Sure. Um, it was significant on many levels, right? Um, 
it was the first time a female had blown a whistle in 20 years in the league. So it was significant because of that. It was significant because I had worked, I refereed for 20 years and my goal has been to referee in the MLS. So it was significant for me personally because it was everything I ever dreamed of. It was everything I aspired to. I'd stood in front of rooms of hundreds of young girls and said, my goal is to referee in the MLS. And I'd gotten gasps in response, right? And I had questioned my own goals at times if they uh, were even achievable, right? And so I'd you know, gotten everything from blown off to brushed aside to told it's not possible to told at a girl, go get them, right? <laughs> and everything in between. Um, so for me, it was personally um, my dream and what I'd been inspired to. And once I got the appointment, all of a sudden, it was so much bigger than that, right? Because now I'd gotten the opportunity. It's one thing to earn the opportunity. It's another thing to earn the next opportunity, right? Is to do so well in the first game that you've earned another spot, right? Another opportunity. So all of a sudden that weight sunk on me, right? So all the work I had done, all the grinding um, to get there. And then all of a sudden I realized, well, now I got to get the next one. Right? Um, so for me, it was significant on so many levels. Um, it was such a cool experience. Um, I certainly didn't expect it. Um, it took me by surprise. I think my peers expected it a little bit more than I did. A lot of the guys kept asking, hey, have you gotten a game? And I'm like, get off my back, guys. <laughs> like, I haven't gotten it yet. Uh, you know, I'd only done three fourths officials. And Chris, my husband, had done 47 fourth officials before he got his first middle. So take that for a comparison, right? Like, I did not expect to get a middle. Um, you know, I was taken back. I was super excited. Um, you know, all my peers had said you had earned it. And I, I definitely felt like I had, I'd put in the work to get there. It wasn't, um, given to me. It was certainly earned. Um, and it was an opportunity, not just for me, but it was a signal across the board that, you know, we belong as females in this game. Um, there's a spot for us and we can do an excellent job. And so there was a little extra weight going into it. So it was significant on many levels. Um, I was super excited um, for the opportunity and I'm really glad that the game went the way it did. Um, and I think we served the game well. How important was your team's support during that game? Sure, I mean, significant, right? I had a really great crew, um, a couple of the guys that I had known for a long time, um, Logan Brown and Jeremy Hansen, who we know personally. Um, I hadn't worked a lot on the field with them, so that was new, um, but I knew them personally, so I had a lot of trust with my team, which is really important. Um, and then, you know, across the soccer universe, I had a lot of support, right? I mean, a lot of the guys, um, the most senior guys in the league sent me a note, said, you've earned this, you deserve this, go get them. And that meant a lot, right? Because you're always concerned about how your peers perceive when a new person steps on the pitch, right? Gender aside. And they, you know, welcomed me with open arms. And that was really important too. Um, and then of course, you know, some of the legends and icons in the soccer world also reached out and I was, um, you know, overwhelmed by that, to be honest, because I didn't expect it. And I guess reflecting on it, of course they would, you know, um, but I was taken back, you know, Carrie Seitz, um, BB in Germany, you know, uh, reached out, uh, Carol Ann, Michelle Pye. I mean, some legends that I've looked up to in the game for a long time reached out and wished me the best of luck. So um, that was also um, really important to have everyone's support there. A 20-year gap is a very long time. Why do you think it took so long for a woman to get the whistle again? It's a good question. And you'd probably have to ask those that make that decision, those in charge who are responsible for making that decision, um, because I wouldn't know that answer. 
What are some of the next milestones that you'd like to see female referees accomplish in the U.S.? Sure. Um, the sky's the limit, right? I hope that one day we're not talking about female referees. We're just talking about referees, right? And we're seen as such equals. Um, that's my hope. Uh, you know, passing the men's fitness test is significant. It's a significant accomplishment. And I want to encourage other females, despite the name being the men's FIFA fitness test, it is possible for females to pass that test. And it's critical for us to be able to do the games we want to do. Um, we need to be able to prove that we can physically be on that same turf as, as those men. So I think it's important from a physical standpoint that we challenge ourselves. Um, and so I, you know, I'm out there when I see young girls able to do a sprint under six minutes, I tell them that should be your goal is the men's fitness test. Um, and so I challenge young girls all the time to, to be physically able to do that test. But beyond that, you know, my hope is that it's not another 20 years, right? Um, we have a nice pipeline of females coming up the ranks and I hope that they can look and see it's possible and that they challenge themselves physically, mentally, um, that they get the right tactical experience um, and that they're able to, to make it whatever that is. You know, my hope is that we have, you know, a strong group of female referees that are headed to the world cup, maybe a men's world cup, maybe that's possible. Um, I don't know if that's possible, but, um, the sky's the limit. Right. And to me, it should just be good referees. And I think as females, we bring a unique perspective to the game. Um, and I think it's an important one. We can manage players differently. Um, and that is a good thing it's not necessarily a bad thing. And um, so I think there's a spot for us. So my hope is that, you know, females don't feel limited, that they feel that anything is possible. Um, and I hope that that's the case. This summer you were very busy with the Challenge Cup and many different things. What was life inside the bubble like for referees? The Challenge Cup was challenging, <laughs> ironically. <laughs> um, life in a bubble, doesn't like at first you're like this sounds safe you're in a bubble right um but it's challenging it's challenging on a lot of levels right it's challenging physically it was challenging mentally um it was probably the most difficult feat i've ever done to be honest um you know there's so many elements to it that made it challenging one you're away from home for 30 plus days to you're in a pandemic with a lot of unknowns you're assuming risk but you're not really quite sure what level of risk, right? You're not really quite sure what the implications could be, right? Because there was so much unknown, especially that early on um, regarding this virus, right? So there's so many unknowns, um, but you're doing what you love. And it symbolized so much across, I think, the globe to be able to come back and have a bit of normalcy, as we'll call it, uh, to have that challenge cup. So it was really important. It was significant, right? Um, but, you know, we're at 4,300 feet above sea level. Um, that takes its toll on your body. It took me five or six days just to adjust to the climate. And I was training in hot, humid Florida in the middle of the day. I thought I was fit as anything. And I get out there and I, you know, do some simple interval training and I'm keeled over going, where's the oxygen? <laughs> where's the oxygen here? Um, but it just takes your toll on you physically, right? 
Um, on the flip side, it was super cool to be able to connect with other officials um, on a personal level, be that close with them for that long, um, get to know them personally. You know, as roommates with a couple girls, I you know learned everything as to how to make a smoothie. Too <laughs> um, took away some really cool um, you know massage techniques, some yoga we did out on the patio, some some awesome things. So got to know my roommates really well as well. Um, and then there's also just the opportunity to focus on soccer was really cool for me. So it was the first time I didn't have distractions. I didn't have the three kids running around, um, right? And I was able to really focus on my profession and perfect it, right? Um, and that was super cool for me as a professional in this sport um, to be able to focus was, I think, really important. And I think you saw the output. We had really strong performances throughout the Challenge Cup. And I think that's because we didn't have a lot of distractions. We were really focused. And I think that speaks a lot to that. Before we started recording, you had kind of told me how wristbands are a monthly thing supporting different, different aspects. Could you talk a little bit more about that and what maybe some of the things you support are? Yeah, sure. So at the professional level, um, you know, MLS and other leagues kind of select different um, diseases and um, causes to help spread awareness and officials. We run around the field, we get some FaceTime on camera. Um, we're an opportunity to showcase some of those symbols, right? And so we use wristbands as a way to do that. Um, we have our Terry Vaughn Huntington Disease Awareness Month that we wear a blue wristband on our wrists. We just had Child Awareness um, Month uh, Childhood Disease Awareness Month, where we wore another wristband. Um, in October, as we head into breast cancer awareness, I wore my pink um, wristband just this past weekend and my pink clip to symbol that. Um, so we, we support a lot of different causes, right? Um, usually um, supporting the leagues that we work for, um, but it's, you know, referees, we, we do get a lot of FaceTime. It's an opportunity for us to help drive awareness for causes, um, and it's a, it's a great opportunity to do that. So moving on to a little bit about NISOA, what is your current role with NISOA? Sure, I am the managing director for NISOA. So how did you become more involved with NISOA? Sure, so I've um, officiated in the collegiate level for some time. Um, I've had the opportunity to do um, the Women's College Cup. I was able to do the Women's College Cup final last year, which was an honor and a privilege and an amazing experience. Um, out in San Jose um, and had been to a couple other College Cup events as well. Um, so I had a great college career, really enjoyed the college game for a variety of reasons. It's very different from other um, games and leagues. Um, and I really enjoy some things that are unique to the college game. It's really all about the student athlete. And um, knowing that I wanted to focus a little bit more on soccer, I was working full time at an advertising agency and I knew, you know, I really wanted to focus on soccer, but it was challenging. Um, I was given an opportunity to come join the NISOA team in a part-time capacity. And that would allow me to be able to still travel and referee and not say no to any opportunity. And that was really important for me as I headed into 2020. I had, had heard wind that I might get some opportunities internationally for some tournaments. And unfortunately, you don't get a lot of lead time when those appointments come. You get short notice and you have to leave for a long duration of time. So often you get less than a week's notice and you have to leave for a couple weeks. Uh, and that's very difficult to do if you have a full-time career, right? Um, so it was perfect for me, perfect timing to be able to take on this endeavor. Um, NISO is also an organization that's near and dear to my heart. Um, and so to be able to um, join that team and help 
use some of the experience that I have in strategic planning and communications and marketing um, to help elevate some of the things that they had big areas of need for um, seemed like it was a perfect alignment. So super excited about the opportunity and um, thrilled I, I was able to make it happen. When did you decide or how did you find yourself in this leadership? So like I said, it kind of came about you know, these opportunities, it's not just necessarily about the right fit, but it's also about timing a lot of times. And it really was just the perfect timing where um, my counterpart, Lance Van Heitzma, was given an opportunity at the CONCACAF level. So an opening came up at NISOA. I just happened to be excelling in my career professionally on the soccer field and wanted an opportunity that I could um, focus more on that. So the timing was perfect. Um, I think, you know, my leadership skills have evolved. I've you know, been the director of strategy, director of client development in my corporate career. So I have continued to grow and blossom and kind of climb the ladder, if you will, in my corporate careers. Um, also had my MBA. And so I had the right skill set to be able to um, provide value to this organization, not just from a leadership perspective, but also um, having had my MBA, having focused in strategic planning, um, having done digital strategy, and we were kind of moving this organization to be more relevant in a digital era. So my expertise was a perfect fit um, for what they needed. Um, so it just aligned out really well. And I've been able to hopefully make some really positive impacts in the organization. We're focusing now on diversity and inclusion. And that's a bit of a passion project for me. Um, but I'm super excited about having a female in a leadership role because I think it's important that we have more diversity, more variety of voices um, in places that make decisions for organizations. Um, so now we have a value that is focused on diversity and inclusion. We have a committee that is focused on it. We're actually meeting tonight. Um, and we're hopefully going to put together an action plan to help make sure that NISOA as an organization is more inclusive, is more diverse, is more thoughtful and intentional in our actions um, in that arena as we move forward. So um, all to say, I think women in leadership roles is really important, and I think we can add a lot of um, value. So this past summer, NISOA tried to provide support for officials that lost games due to scheduling. Can you talk a little bit more about this and the support that was given? Sure, absolutely. So this pandemic has been challenging for everyone um, in a variety of different ways. Um, some people have been hit more significantly than others, right? We need to have empathy and understanding that the world is a little upside down at the moment, right? Um, having an organization like NISOA with 5,000 members, we had an opportunity. We had a platform. We had 5,000 members who likely were not going to be getting games anytime soon. Many of them maybe relied on that income, maybe wholly, um, to feed their families and keep their house abreast, right? And the thought of not having soccer games on the horizon was scary for a lot of people. So we reflected as an organization, we said, what can we do to help? How can we help? Um, and we requested some funds from the NISOA Foundation Fund, and we were able to very quickly, I think, once we got it approved within a week or two, had the program put together. And we had a stimulus quiz that would both educate our members so they could get some training, um, but also provide winnings and earnings to those in need. We had a, several members who won earnings and actually uh, forfeited those earnings. And so that we could go back into a redrawing and only those members who really needed it were able to uh, absorb it, which I think speaks volumes about the NISOA family and the NISOA community that we have. Um, but we were able to give away um, $10,000 to our members 
um, over an eight week period. So um, we saw the opportunity, we took quick action, um, we got the funds and we made sure that we were able to deliver it. Um, we weren't giving away free money, they had to work a little bit, they had to get uh, the questions correct. Um, but at the end of the day, we were, we were really proud to be able to offer that opportunity in a time of need uh, to our members. And I think it speaks volumes to the organization that we are. During this time also, there was a lot of new content put out and more webinars and how did this come about? Sure, so we, have, we typically have summer clinics um, and then when the pandemic hit us, we recognized that we weren't gonna be able to have in-person clinics anymore um, and probably for the foreseeable future. And so we had to act quickly because our members still needed to be educated. We still needed to provide value as an organization. Um, so we decided to move everything online um, myself, having been a professor at the University of South Florida, had some experience working with Zoom. My classes had shifted online, so I was very familiar with the engagement features of Zoom, that you can have webinars, you can have engagement, you can have breakout rooms, you can have raise your hands, you can have polling, and all the features that webinars provide, and how easy they really are to turn on. And so I just told our team, like, let's pretend like our entire summer series is just, let's just move it online. We can still have it and let's just do it online as opposed to in person. And we started to see value in that is that people didn't have to spend a whole weekend away, didn't have to travel hundreds of miles, didn't have to spend a lot of money traveling, didn't have to you know, spend another weekend away from family, yet could get almost just as good of the content, right? So um, we saw tremendous value in the online model and we were able to shift everything and actually ended up doing more education, I think this year than we ever have in our history as NISOA. And I think we're really proud of not just the content and the amount, but also the quality of the content we've been able to put out. So I'm really proud of the team and what they've been able to accomplish. And I think we set a precedent for what the future will hold. And I think you know our model will change. I think we'll see more online webinars and clinics and seminars, I think we'll see less more impactful in-person clinics. Like we may just have one really big summit and then everything else be online because we can be more accessible. We can have people from all over. We can still have engagement, you know, and, and, you know, we have to take a look at our instructors because it's difficult to instruct on a webinar. You know, it takes different skill sets. Um, you know, I react a lot by the audience. I say right a lot. And I realized when I was in a webinar, I kept saying right and nobody was answering me <laughs> because you're in a webinar, everyone's on mute. So it's a little bit different, right? And so it, it takes a different instructor. It takes different training. Um, some people who are really good in person aren't good on, on a webinar and that's okay. Um, but we have to, you know, be honest about our skill sets and train those who are really good instructors to be good online as well. Um, so I think our model will change moving forward, but I'm really proud of what the team's been able to accomplish, you know, really reactive to the circumstance, but we reacted well, I think. We have made it to our final question, which I ask every guest. What do you hope people remember about your impact to soccer and the world? Whew. That's a heavy question. Um, I hope I gave a little girl a shot. I hope I can leave behind a path that is more worn than the one I walked through. I hope that those that come after me can climb on my shoulders and take their game to the next level and reach a little bit higher than I was able to because of what I was able to achieve. And I hope that I leave the world in a better place than I found it. Today with Tori, we talked about so much her nice solo role 
her MLS, big, huge MLS game, the NWSL Challenge Cup, everything that leads up to her story and just the way she referees and her personality. It was so much fun to talk to her and just learn from her. I was able to learn not only as an official, but also as a person. I'm very thankful that she was able to find time for me, especially in her busy, busy schedule. I hope you enjoyed the episode, and until next week, remember to keep the game beautiful.